0: We give you the chance to hear many different people that are facing many different struggles talk about what they're doing, why they're doing it, and how they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I will be speaking with Stefan Christoph. We want, without question, for our movements and communities in struggle to win stuff. With so much harm and violence organized into so many people's experiences, we absolutely need concrete victories, big and small, that make lives more livable. Yet, with the compulsion of such necessity, it can be easy to fall into a narrow, deadening idea of what movements and communities and struggles are and what they have to be. It's easy to forget that movements are also, inevitably and always, about knowing, feeling, making meaning, remembering, communicating. And that is always so, because it's just how groups of human beings work. It is precisely those kinds of seemingly ephemeral practices that are so important in turning a mass of individuals into a socially meaningful collective, from the scale of the tiniest affinity group to the larger social world that we're trying to intervene in and change. Christophe is a member of the Howell Arts Collective in Montreal. They are firm believers that culture and arts are always integral to movements. Not only do they point to pretty much every movement of the past that has had any lasting impact, but they also point out that, particularly given the scorn and dismissal that movements so often face from mainstream meaning-makers, such work is really the only way that movements can know and be known by the world, can remember and can help build histories of struggle, and can allow us to truly feel, deep in our bones, what it means to dream of and to deserve something better. Christoph talks with me about the collective, and about radical arts, movements, and memory. I spoke with him by Skype to phone from Montreal.
1: My name is Stefan Christoph. I'm a, an artist and social activist based in Montreal. I work with a group called the Howell Arts Collective, which actively explores the intersections between social movements and artistic practice, meaning that we do projects that directly work in an artistic way, but are also linked to frontline social movements whether it's anti-gentrification struggles or migrant justice movements or more generally movements for social and economic justice. So most of us involved in this project are both artists and activists, and we actually don't see a distinction between the two, and we wanted to create a space where the artistic practice that I feel is so central to the history of popular movements here in Quebec, but also globally, can be very much the focus of the project, and that's really centrally what it is about. I moved to Montreal just at the turn of the century, around 2000. At the time, there was burgeoning protest movements, uh, many different movements that, of course, come out of a long history of protest movements in Quebec, and these were protest movements historically that simply weren't asking for reforms of the electoral system or the political process, but movements that really were about transformative social change, that were really looking at the roots of injustice, colonial and capitalist realities that you know have shaped Quebec for so long. So the movements that were taking place around 1999-2000 were taking place also in a global context where we saw the rise of movements globally against neoliberal capitalism, corporate globalization. So right after the protests in Seattle in the fall of 1999, here in Montreal, there was a mobilization taking place, both to oppose a meeting of the G20 summit, which was one of the first meetings of the G20 that took place in Montreal in 2000. And also there was a mobilization taking place in opposition to the free trade area of the Americas that was having a summit in Quebec City in April 2001. That was a much broader continental mobilization. So, of course, within both of those grassroots processes, there was a lot of arts, there was a lot of creative aspects to these mobilizations, from street theater to protest puppets, but then also the involvement of a lot of local musicians and artists in Montreal everything from street art to, you know, post-rock music. And so that was really sort of the ambiance. I had always, of course, been interested in frontline social movements and also the arts, but it was really great to be in Montreal at a time where those two things were really converging in a real way. And my involvement in the mobilization towards the Summit of the Americas in Quebec City in uh, April 2001 really focused on the arts including we we held a a poetry reading in Quebec City called Free Verses of the Americas, and we invited poets actually from all over who were going to be in Quebec City for the protest to participate. You know, at the time, it was really interesting to see the way that these different efforts were converging, anti-capitalist protests and radical arts. That's basically the context where I first was able to explore these things in a real way, in a frontline way. So Howl really formed at that time, there was events that we organized in New York City, in Halifax, in Toronto, and here in Montreal, really through a grassroots network, and we had a festival called the Howl Festival of Art and Revolution, and we had a whole series of different events in those cities I mentioned, where I was collaborating with artists and activists in different places. After a few years, I got really deeply involved in grassroots struggles in Montreal, We're talking about migrant justice groups, uh, like no one is illegal. I was uh, around at at that group's formation and also um, other protest movements that were forming at the time around housing rights and poverty groups. So for a long time, I have to be honest with you, I was so enwrapped in the organizational details of frontline campaigns where we were directly involved in you know, the details of injustice in people's lives and in communities, meaning like casework, you know, frontline casework. That type of casework really took a great deal of focus, and I have to say I was very young, so it was a totally overwhelming experience, but one where I I learned a lot. Um, So for quite a few years, I was so involved at that sort of level that I really didn't have the time to explore these ideas around art and activism, and I really, I'd say, put those things to the side. I always sort of felt that it was important, but I had a hard time for a long time reconciling how frontline organizing work, which I was doing, could relate to the more artistic things that I wanted to also express. So luckily over time, and especially around the Quebec student strike, almost a decade later, in 2011, 2010 is when the organizing began for that, but of course the strike really took place in 2012. Again, we saw this massive... Creative expression and an artistic aspect to that uprising, I think, is an accurate way of describing what happened here. And given that I was involved in around that process of mobilization towards the protests in 2012, again, I was really excited to see the artistic aspect really come to life. I worked with a group of comrades, of friends at the time, who were also artists, but were directly involved in the movement. And what we did is we formed an arts collective called Howell, which was based on the idea that I had originally worked on with other comrades about a a decade before, but was sort of reformed in the context of that upheaval and the strike that had happened more recently in Quebec. And since then, we have been working consistently to explore what art and activism can do together.
2: And tell me a little bit about uh, the other folks in the collective. Have their trajectories been similar to yours, or is there a broader range of people in politics that are feeding into the collective?
1: It's broader in terms of age, for sure. You have people whose first experience with political protest movements was around the strike in 2012, like their first frontline experience. And then there's people more from my generation that really had their political education take place during the anti globalization movement. And then, of course, people are from, you know, all sorts of different backgrounds. It's really a diverse group that is, is tight. It's, it's very modest in size, but we're sort of a group based on affinity. We are a small arts collective. And what we do mainly when we do different projects is we coordinate with different groups and campaigns. So, for example, we just had a festival here in Montreal. And we opened the festival with a benefit for the Campaign for Missing and Murdered Aboriginal Women. So the group here in Montreal who is really organizing a lot of things around that is called Missing Justice. We partnered with that group to organize a benefit for Missing Justice and co-organize a cultural event together which featured many Aboriginal Indigenous artists. So as a small collective, we reach out to different groups to co-organize projects. So, for example, we work a lot with the Cinema Political Group, which is a great radical documentary film project. So, whenever they present films around different social movements with a focus on the arts, we collaborate with them. Again, in our recent festival, we co-presented a screening of the latest work by a great Indigenous filmmaker named Alanisa Bamsuan whose latest film really touches on the struggle around First Nations education and particularly the community of Attawapiskat. These are sort of examples of some collaborations that we do. But as a collective, we also produce cultural projects and products in the sense that we create things that are physical. So that's really important to us. And different members of the group have different projects. And whether it's zines or music releases or as photographers, graphic artists, street artists, we make an effort to translate this political sentiment into things that can exist in the physical world. So I think at a time where we have so much time and space in our lives that's devoted to the online world, which obviously is important, we want to try to translate some of that energy into the real world, into the physical world. So as I mentioned, through street art or through booklets, things that are very tangible, that you can touch. That's very important for us. We feel that social movements and activism and culture that's real and connected to the concerns and the ideas of communities needs to be existing in real life. We need to be engaged at a grassroots level, face-to-face, in our communities. Ideas are great, but it gets much more complicated, but also much more inspiring and interesting when these ideas are attempted to translate into the social and political context in which we live. And of course, that's the great challenge of social movements, especially in the context here in North America, and more particularly Canada, where histories of social movements and radical art practice, which we're interested in, is so marginalized from the way that mainstream history is told. Here in Quebec, there's such a rich and incredible history of radical art that came about during the Révolution Tranquille, but it's very marginalized. There's such an amazing tradition of indigenous art that has expressed anti-colonial struggles for generations. But the context for that art is more often just dismissed and not explored. So these are some of the ideas that we're trying to work with.
2: Tell me in a little bit more detail about some of these concrete cultural products that the collective or members of the collective have produced.
1: One thing that we've been working on is to make zines, so little booklets, basically. And these are booklets not written by experts, not written by academics, but booklets by frontline social activists. So, for example, one project we recently did was with the Immigrant Workers Center, and we worked with an activist there named Mustafa Hanawi to put together a booklet of his writings and analysis based on frontline experiences organizing with immigrant workers here in our city. And it sort of is an analysis of the economic crisis in Canada for working people, poor people, marginalized communities, especially as austerity measures are imposed Another booklet we did was one that I worked on, which was collecting writings from around the Quebec student uprising, putting that into English, because there's a very important amount of analysis and information around what happened here in Quebec during the student strike that I feel is missing in translation. We also worked with a feminist street art collective called Off Mural, bringing together different feminist street artists who have been doing work on the streets here in our city say, for example, around decolonization, struggles, also street art around gender justice. So we worked with them to put together a series of texts by different artists who are involved in the off-mural group. So as I, I mentioned before, these booklets attempt to bring into physical form, into text, the ideas of social activists, but also artists who are not recognized or not given voice in mainstream artistic circles or in regards to social activists and mainstream political narratives. We also release music projects. We work with street artists, as I mentioned. Street art meaning art on the streets, from art that is made through painting, spray cans, whether it's made through wheat pasting. Street art basically means also art outside of the institution, art outside of the galleries, art that can touch people directly, and all sorts of people that is an art form that is more democratic, Again, the theme is physical art objects. We also put a lot of time into the physicality of the pieces. So we do silk screening. We bind things by hand. We fold things by hand. And the last thing I would say on this point is that it's sort of within this idea that we need to be creating our own histories because mainstream history marginalizes people who are critical of state and corporate power. The histories of social movements is ridiculed and not given the potential that it deserves. All the major changes we've seen in North American society over the last generations came about through social movements. This is important to understand that these changes didn't take place through the moves of liberal politicians in power, but were always in response to grassroots mobilization. So in doing physical objects, we hope to make a small contribution to creating a real and living history to the social movements that we're around and part of here in Quebec.
2: And give me an example or two in the realm of music. Uh, I mean, I I recall seeing material from a year or two ago about you being involved in, uh, I believe it was a, a piece of music that was connected to the security certificate detainees.
1: There's been quite a few different musical projects. I believe the thing you're referring to is an initiative that we did called Duets for Abdul Razik." That was a project we did to honor and to celebrate Abu Sufyan Abdul Razik, who is a Sudanese-Canadian who was exiled in the Sudan for about six years, jailed and tortured without trial or charge by the Sudanese authorities. This is a case where the Canadian Security and Intelligence Service thesis was directly involved. So there was a big grassroots campaign that took place involving different communities, different actors to have Abdul Razik's constitutional rights recognized, his rights under the Passport Act, because basically after he was released in Sudan, Canada wouldn't allow him to return. There was a grassroots campaign that took place on different levels. Also, there was work done by lawyers, and eventually a federal court ruled that Canada had to allow Abdul Rasik to return to his family who lives here in Montreal. I was involved in supporting that campaign as an activist. Once he returned, I felt it was important to explore a bit more the ways in which the story was being told. Of course, it was a very big story in the mainstream media, but that story has faded Mainstream media often likes sensational stories, of course, dramatic stories, but there's, I think, a very important emotional element to a story like that, and I feel like Abdulrazak's case really symbolized a lot of the injustice that Arab and Muslim Canadians experienced after 9-11, systemic institutional injustice on the part of the Canadian state and Canadian state agencies. So, after he returned, I thought it would be interesting to work with local musicians, some musicians who have musical and familial roots in the Middle East, in Arab culture, and other musicians to put together an homage to Abdelrazik and sort of reflect together musically on what Abdelrazik's story means, symbolizes for our society. The great injustice that Abdelrazik experienced is something that I think should be remembered, and this album is one attempt we made to try to create a cultural remembrance and honoring of Abdul Razik who went through an experience that I think cannot be forgotten and shouldn't be forgotten ever.
2: Now, you've made the point quite strongly that you see social movements and artistic production as not really two different things, as being very much bound together. But I'm sure you run into lots of people who don't necessarily share that perspective activists who would be like, oh well the, the the art stuff is all well and good but it's not the real work. So what would you say to challenge that?
1: The thing that I would mention is that if you look into the history of social movements of activism anywhere in the world, how do we remember those movements, right? Often through culture, through the arts, whether it's through poetry, whether it's through song You know, when we think of, for example, the coup in Chile in uh, 1973 against Allende, we think, of course, of the context of U.S.-backed military interventions throughout Central and Latin America. But also, we remember artists like Victor Jara Singer, who was killed by the military junta, which took power. And he really symbolizes that experience. If we look to Palestine and we look at the struggle of Palestinians for freedom, the whole formation of the Palestinian national movement that really took the world's attention in the 1970s and 80s. More often than not, we remember that period, especially in the Middle East, that period is recalled by artists. And if we look to Quebec, the way that the Revolution Tranquille, the Quiet Revolution, is remembered through poetry, like poems like Speak White, the poem that famously linked the Quebecois' struggles for economic and social and linguistic justice to anti-colonial struggles around the world. If we look to uh, black power movements in the United States, artists like Emory Douglas, who was the Minister of Culture in the Black Panthers, whose iconic drawings we remember and recall until today. If we look, for example, to the Parisian student uprising in 1968, we see drawings, you know, the beauty is in the streets, iconic poster images that were created by workers and students at the time of the revolt in Paris. I think if we look to the history of jazz, pieces like Alabama by John Coltrane, the history of jazz as a resistance music, as a, a music that really exemplified the African-American struggle for freedom. This is how we remember popular history. It's often translated through the arts. So I think the point is obvious uh, that today that doesn't change. I mean, the way that we recall now, the political changes that are taking place in our world and the massive injustices that are taking place is often expressed at that level, at that artistic level, which I think actually in a lot of ways speaks to our hearts, speaks to our minds in ways that are beyond specific political demands, but ways that are more internationalist, human, that really touch at the heart of who we are as human
2: beings. Another question that comes up for me and i'm not exactly sure how to phrase it but with any organizing the practicalities the logistics of it are always difficult finding the energy finding the time finding the resources in a, you know a world where we all have to work increasingly hard at increasingly precarious jobs just to survive what practical steps does the collective and do the members of the collective take to ensure that they have the space and the time and the resources to engage in the kinds of projects that they want to engage in.
1: The point that I would actually bring up in response to that is the point of gentrification. And the reason I bring it up is that Montreal is a city that is a big city in North America or in Canada or in Quebec that is more affordable to live in. Rents are lower than Toronto or New York City or San Francisco or Vancouver, But at the same time, it's a vibrant city with a lot of internationalist spirits, people from all over the globe going through the city every day, a city with a very dynamic history. So I bring up gentrification because the city is changing, right? And rents are going up, life is becoming more expensive, not at the same rate as a city like San Francisco or New York. So as gentrification takes place, the possibility for people to live and to have the space and time you're talking about to be creative and to make art that isn't necessarily tied to the marketplace. And I think that that's a really important point to make, right? We are doing artistic projects that are not about cash. They're not about creating a product. They're about reflecting on our society and on the different voices of intervention that are trying to create social change. So art is not something to be bought and sold. Art is something to reflect the times in which we live and the spirit of our experiences. So in a city that is less expensive, more of that is possible. So the fight against gentrification is very important because as landlords raise rents, as people make giant condo projects that are only for people you know, who make $100,000 or more a year, making art is less and less possible. All the things that make cities interesting in terms of like how people remember histories is often through the arts, right? But if you gentrify the city and create a playground for the rich, then there is no space to make arts that is not directly tied to the capitalist market which generally creates art that is boring and is made for financial gain. It's not made to try to create social justice or to be part of struggles to create a more just world, right? So this issue of gentrification, I think, is very important to address. Beyond that, I think the thing I would also mention is that as a group, Howell is not institutionalized. We don't rely on grants. We don't spend a lot of our time writing grant proposals, things like that. We are grassroots group. We do things within our means, which is a very small means. We are a group where everybody else is working, like myself. I do a working class job. I'm a night shift doorman. I work full time doing that. I have for quite some time. It allows me to pay my basic rent and expenses. And then during the day, I do art. Other people in the group are also workers in different jobs. I'm being very specific about the job I do to try to put it out there that like there's nothing wrong with doing working-class jobs to survive. It doesn't mean that the other things you're doing in your life aren't valuable. I think community sector jobs also are great, but they're very demanding. I've done those jobs too. So it's a balance. It's a constant discussion. And it's one that we should always be visiting and asking about. And it's a challenge that we face as activists who are against capitalism, who are against the financial system in which we live, but have to survive in it, right? So this is a very difficult question.
2: Tell me about any projects that are currently in progress or that are upcoming from the Howell Arts Collective that you're particularly excited about.
1: Well, we've launched a festival and a convergence that will take place every year. It takes place at the end of April. We had our first this year. So we're already looking towards next year It's pretty locally focused, but also people are welcome from other places. And this is really a convergence to actively think about and to actively explore that relationship between arts and social movements. So that is something I'm very much looking forward to building. And we're still working on releasing music on booklets. We have various projects that are taking place. We always update everything on our website, which is howlarts.net. We also organize a lot of panel discussions that are grassroots, that are free to attend, and that are sort of visiting the very topics that we've been discussing.
0: You have been listening to my interview with Stéphane Christoph of the Howell Arts Collective in Montreal. To learn more about their work, go to howellarts.net. That's all one word, howellarts.net. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, or to make suggestions about topics for future shows, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link marked radio. That's talkingradical.ca.